Hello and good evening. Welcome to a new entry of the Morning Star Journal with me, Tariq. And this is a podcast where I take a few minutes, uh, usually um, around uh, 30 to 40 minutes, depending on the episode. But I take time to talk about uh, movies, books, TV shows, games, um, really just anything and everything that's on my mind, things that I've enjoyed, uh, try to give you reviews and retrospectives of things that I've just enjoyed in life and just give you uh, my opinions and um, just hope that it encourages you to maybe go out and find these things. Um, I do try to pick items that are meaningful for me that I've either read or I've played or I've watched um, a long time ago, so I try not to pick anything too new, though... Uh, We are getting to a point where a lot of things are closing. If you don't know, um, the show, there's a show called Into the Badlands that's showing its last season. Um, Also have things like Game of Thrones about to have its final season and, uh, I can't, and also I can't forget, of course, um, Avengers Endgame, which we'll be playing here within the next couple of weeks. So quite a few things that are going to be closing soon, and I'm definitely going to try to get some, uh, you know, video out or some audio, I should say, um, out about these things. But speaking of video, I have actually tried to do a little bit of streaming. So um, you can check out either my Twitch channel which should be under uh, Troublemaker79 or my YouTube channel which I have renamed to Morning Star Journal and I try to uh, do a few live streams right now I will be playing a little bit of Spyro uh, the remastered on PS4 um, as well as probably Burnout uh, Paradise though I did see a new game that I think I might try and that might be something I'll also stream. Now, you might be wondering, if you've listened to this podcast before, that normally this comes out on Saturday. Well, it turns out that Saturday is going to be a very busy day, uh, both in the morning and possibly in the afternoon. So uh, I was debating on whether I could try to get out tonight or wait till tomorrow, and it probably wouldn't be to the evening, and then I might even wait till Sunday. But um, I did take a couple of weeks off before, and I didn't want to get into the habit of pushing the uh, podcast back farther than I need to. So for that reason, it's coming out today. I do understand that on my uh, post, I did say Saturday, so that's going to be on me. Um, if you'd like, uh, and I won't blame you if you do this, you can wait till Saturday to listen to this. I'm not going to fault you if you decide to do that. Uh, but anyway, today... What I'm going to go over is actually the uh, Princeps Fury, the fifth and penultimate book of Jim Butcher's Codex Hilarious series. Now, um, I'm going to go over a few things about, um, you know, when I actually, a a little bit on um, the series on when I picked it up 
and then I'm going to get right into the book now. I did take a few notes here and there, trying to remember everything. It has been quite a while since I've read, read this book. Um, I actually read this one pretty much in succession with the others, and I'll get to that. But, um, yeah, it's been a while. I have read it at least multiple times. I've thought about actually going back to it because uh, recently on Kindle, uh, book one and two uh, were discounted very um, heavily. So I decided to get the the digital versions. Um, The rest of them hadn't been discounted, but I hadn't checked in a while. So if it turns out they are discounted, I might get the digital copies. Even though I do have the physical copies, I've just gotten really used to reading digital. can't help it. I mean, once I was able to uh, get the uh, tablet that I really wanted and able to change the um, uh, colors like the make it was it uh, called night mode where you have the black pages, but the white lettering made it easier for me to kind of read that, um, you know, at night or, you know, in different places, just easier on my eyes. I fell in love with it. And the fact that I can carry the entire book, I mean, not just the book, but like the series. So I have several series and I'll probably be going over because I'm a couple of other, another thing that's coming out other than movies and TV shows that are in soon. Um, there's a couple of authors that are also having new books coming out. So Anthony Ryan is going to be somebody that I've talked about before that I'm going to uh, probably bring up again, one of his book series. Uh, Cause he has two series out that I really love. Actually, Three, technically, and I did my first episode on uh, one of those book series. Um, it was a smaller series, but I think I might go back to that one, and re- and I want to redo that episode. So you might hear that one come back again. And of course, in the background, I've got uh, what's called Relaxation uh, Space. So um, if you can hear it in the background, I try not to put it too loud so I'm not yelling uh, so hopefully it doesn't drown out my voice or I don't sound too loud but anyway so as always on these books I, I actually do enjoy uh, on sorry these uh, book reviews or retrospectives as I like to call them I do want to kind of read the back of the book to get you kind of into it to know what's going on so I'll read that and then I'll go over a little bit about you know my history with the series Tavi of Calderon, now recognized as the Princeps Gaius Octavian, an heir to the crown, has achieved a fragile alliance with the lair's oldest foes, the Savage Canum. But when Tavi and his legions guide the Canum to their lands, their worst fears are realized. The dreaded Vord, the enemy of Alaren and Cain alike, have laid waste to the Canum homeland, and the Alaren's find themselves trapped alongside their former adversaries. Meanwhile, war-torn Alaire rebuilds while politicians and nobles vie for power. But from the south comes news. The Vord have come to Alara. For a thousand years, Alara and her furies have withstood every enemy and survived every foe. A thousand years are over. So, the um, so Precepts Fury originally came out back in November twenty fifth of two thousand eight. 
Now, I wasn't aware of the series, but I really do recall, and this, and it had to have been probably, and these books came out about a year apart. So the sixth book, which I'll definitely get into, called uh, First Lord's Theory, which is the last book, I recall seeing the uh, cover of it because that was one of the first time, and I, and I recognized the cover when I when I went to look for it later. Um, but I recognized it when it was um, on full hardback, and I was trying to piece together when exactly. I got into this series. So when I started reading it, I compared a lot to Game of Thrones. And when I talk about this book, you're going to see there's there's actually an element that's very reminiscent of Game of Thrones in this. Um, so I started to think, so when I was reading this, I had Game of Thrones on my mind. Um, I also had, of course... Uh, Avatar, because of the whole uh, Fury crafting, much like the Bended. So that always became the comparison until I heard otherwise, where it was uh, the kind of Pokemon Roman Legion uh, combination. But I always thought of it more on the lines of the um, Avatar Last Airbender and Game of Thrones. And if Game of Thrones was on my mind at that time, then I had to have been pretty deep into the show. So the show, the Game of Thrones started back in 2011. And I at least remember that I watched the first season before I got into the books. And I did watch the season at least a little bit as it went on. Um, so... I would say it probably was around 2012, so well after the last book came out. And at that time, I had already, um, I was already in the process of reading the Dresden Files. And that's one of the series that Jim Butcher is uh, more famous for. So when I was looking for more um, Dresden Files books, and I think I was probably at near the end of um, his series, because so that was probably around 2012. So I believe Changes was already out. I may have already finished it, and I didn't and didn't know exactly when the next book was going to come out. And I started looking, and I saw the book cover for First Lord, and I noticed Jim Butcher's name on the front. And I was kind of surprised because it wasn't like Dresden, but it was definitely Jim Butcher. And he has a very unique name. So I imagine it had to have been the same guy. So I looked it up and eventually I found, you know, a little bit about the series. And it looked interesting and I liked Jim Butcher. So I picked up the first book, Furies of Calderon, and really enjoyed it. It was a fun read for me. Um, I thought the story was, I'm not saying it was simple, but it was familiar. And I had a lot of fun because, like I said, uh, a lot of the, and as I've said in my previous reviews, a lot of the uh, political stuff, the stuff dealing with Gaius, the other high lords and high ladies, and the treachery really stems back to that um, uh, Game of Thrones feeling. So once I finished the first book, I really wanted to pick up the other ones. But, of course, at this time, I wasn't really getting into the whole... Um, reading on a uh, device, didn't really have a Kindle, and um, I always thought that if I ever wanted a reader, I would actually go full-blown into a tablet, but I just couldn't afford them at the time. 
Uh, so I was still getting books, and eventually, when I w- uh, there was a used bookstore. Unfortunately, it's not around anymore. And that's another thing that I've kind of realized, and if I can take a little side tangent, it's kind of sad that that's going to be one of the things that is going to disappear in time, the used bookstore. So I was reading this one um, article, or just looking at different articles, that were talking about how um, GameStop is going to be coming under... um, you know, a lot of um, hard times because it seems like a lot of the companies are not wanting to give the digital codes to GameStop. And I thought that was interesting because by doing games digitally now, so like, you know, if you play things like, um, just pick it out, some of the kind of popular games now, like um, Apex Legends, uh, PUBG, Fortnite, um even some of the newer games like um, Spider-Man, Red Dead Redemption, a lot of these games now are digital. You don't get a, or you don't have to get a physical disc. But that also means that once you're done with the game, what do you do with it? You can't trade it in. And if you're no longer trading it in, then that limits not only the stock that GameStop gets, but also what they can actually sell out. And I meant to, you know, kind of look this up because I kind of get a feeling that um, developers probably don't get a lot of money when it comes to used games, which probably prompts them to say, you know what, no, we're going to sell them directly through us so that we don't have to, you know, whenever you sell a game of ours, you don't take a little cut of it because we you sold it from your inventory. We could just sell it directly. And now we don't even need to worry about disc anymore. So that's another part of the profit. I don't have to worry about putting it on a disc and I don't have to worry about shipping it to your stores. Um, but Anyway, kind of long story short, though, that got me thinking about, of course, books. And you see that now, where a lot of big book chains are just not around anymore. Like, we used to have um, Books A Million at a couple of places, and now a lot of those are shut down. The only Books A Million that I really know, two of them I know, is at one of the big malls. And then there's a smaller store that I don't even know is still there. It was actually at a smaller mall near me. And Barnes and Nobles, I have to go um, all the way into a city just to get a Barnes and Nobles. Those aren't uh, those those aren't uh, very frequent. So, if the big bookstores are kind of gone, the smaller bookstores are even worse shape. And now you can get a lot of books digitally anyway. So, like a lot of the books that I'm reading now, I get you know all the, all the new ones that I can't get digitally. Now, I do think that there is something to having a hardbound book, um, like you saw in my um, Instagram post. So you can read those anytime. You don't have to worry about battery. Um, you know, just kind of that feel of the book. And sometimes it's nice to have if you ever, um, you know, go see your author. I have a book um, that I reviewed last week from my friend David. And I really appreciate having that physical book, not just because he signed it, but just because having that, you know, physical copy of his work. And if I ever had a chance to um, meet Jim Butcher, I actually do have uh, not only this series, but a couple other books that I would gladly kind of bring and have them kind of sign. Just be like, hey, I really appreciate your work. Can you just kind of, you know, sign this for me just so I can keep just for myself? But, you know, that's becoming a kind of hard commodity. 
But long story short, it's really sad that a lot of these bookstores, and that's what happened to the bookstore that I went to, because if that bookstore wasn't around, um, the next part of my story wouldn't have happened. So this bookstore I went to called Last Word, um, you know, had a few books that I found here and there. And I think maybe one time I found the second book. And it was, of course, a lot cheaper than buying it at the at a new store. And it was um, in pretty good condition. So I decided to get it there. And I decided to check out, okay, maybe they have the other books. And I guess somebody who read the series decided to bring back all the books. Because I found three, four, five, and six all together right then and there all in pretty good condition and i got them all that day i decided to you know what i'm really enjoying the first book i actually started the second one is pretty good let me just you know i'm not going to get them one at a time and they were all like i said really cheap so i just got them all at once so i was actually lucky enough to be able to read all the books and i will say that even though book five does leave at a pretty big moment um in the book and i'll say uh spoilers when that happens um it was really good to be able to just jump into the sixth book and i pretty much automatically did like i at that point it's kind of like the entire series in a sense became one book and uh if, if you're like me you know that once you get around i would say maybe around the 70 percent uh, part of the book, usually things start picking up. And usually around maybe 80, 85, you know, a lot of things start coming to a head. And, you know, the main conflict or the main story beats start happening, leading to that conclusion that lasts 10%. So that's kind of what happened, not just with this book, but with the series in general. This, the fifth book represented that 75% of the story that we're getting into and leading me into that last 15% of the series, which was the final book. So let me kind of pull over my notes a little bit so I can kind of read these quick. So let me go over a couple of uh, kind of big story beats that happened throughout this series. So like the... Uh, back of the book suggests, and I'm going to be jumping around a lot in this book. Like I said, I've read most of it. I read it, you know, um, I tried to read a little bit of it in the last, uh, uh, last week now, uh, just so I can get familiar back with it, but I'm going to buy memory on a lot of this. Um, so, uh, let me say, if, I, I definitely recommend, and I think I've said this on the other books, but I'll just reiterate it here. I recommend this story, this whole series, it's a lot of fun. It's easy read. It's I do compare it to Game of Thrones when it comes to the um, kind of um, political aspect of these different houses going against each other, and you know the sneaky stuff they're doing. And there's a lot of kind of moving parts and people, but it is not the kind of like um, there's not a lot of there's not the Game of Thrones, you know, like. Um, uh, adult content in a sense or um, and also the uh, body count isn't as bad in the first few books when it gets to the last book I mean it is the last book of the series so uh, a few characters unfortunately hey 
we're at the last book, so we don't really need you anymore. <laughs> you served your purpose or whatever. So, um, but other than that, though, and like I said, the the whole ben, the fury crafting thing is a is a nice element of um, kind of magic in a sense, but still that, but but a but a style of magic that does have rules, and he does stay within those rules for the most part, at least in my opinion. So, kind of like what the book was saying is that Tavi is now going by Octavian. So, if you remember from the last book, Captain Fury, which I did do a review on it a few weeks ago. You can listen to that. But in Captain Fury, um, we see, in, during Captain Fury, basically, um, he, find, he reveals himself as officially Octavian, the son of Septimus who died uh, back during the um, during a merit, uh, kind of attack. And, um, and it's officially made by Asana, who at first were given to, that he, it's his aunt, but it turned out it was his mother who was actually married to Septimus and actually had his ring, which was official. So now he's actually in command now and people know who he is and Gaius wants to kind of you know bring him into the fold but uh the first lord but he you know he's kind of a little bit hesitant he has to prepare because what we find out and I'm going to be jumping around a little bit of the other books because I can't remember exactly when this is revealed but Gaius is pretty much realized at this point that his son uh, Septimus wasn't actually killed by the merit. The merit attack that attacked his legion at the time was was more or less just a smokescreen, and he was actually attacked by people who were against the crown, other high lords, and he pinpointed at least most of them. But he wasn't sure that there were other um, politicians, like they, like the back of the book says, other politicians and lords that might take advantage of this, that might try to, um, what is it, um, uh, try to say that, you know, um, the allegations Tavi's saying are false, that he's not really the son, that he's just this kid from, you know, this, um, uh, you know, this, uh, country, uh, you know, from from this uh, little little known you know, Calderon uh, Valley, you know, a, a nobody, and he's pretending to be the precept's son just because the old precepts died near his village and stuff. And but he, so Gaius wants to take some time to make sure he has everything set, so it's a at least easy transition. But he's also not blind to the fact that Tavi, also his uncle Bernard, everyone from the valley has been trying to tell people, hey, there's this war, this un, this almost um, unstoppable, you know, uh, force of like creatures that that's that's attacking subtly, but they're really just gaining and they're going to make a move and we have to stop squabbling to attack this. Also, when I get into this, there's going to be a lot of elements that I will admit when I started reading over this, I was like, this is very, um, how can I say, relevant uh, to today's climate on a lot of different aspects. And I didn't think about it at first, but it's amazing how it is now. And it's 
it's kind of funny how um, you know how everything turns out and the message it's saying. But let's not go there with it. Even though there might be some similarities, it's pretty. It's kind of weird. It's a little bit on the nose in certain places. And I didn't really think about it at the time, but now it's funny with um, a lot of things that are in the news now. It's kind of weird how relevant it is. But anyway, we're not going to get into that part of it, but I am going to talk about the story itself. Um, so, uh, like I said, he out himself as Octavian, and one of the things guys wants to do is get him uh, at least away from there for for a little bit so he can kind of get things going so Tavi decides that uh, they had just kind of had a ceasefire with the Canem who originally invaded and now he's taken his small legion uh, along with uh, Kitty who's now with him who can also use Fury she was a merit who um, Tavi pretty much um, got to know and eventually fall in love with uh, but because they shared a certain herb that uh, links them, they are in tune with each other, which gave her the ability to do Fury Crafts just like him. And, um, but not only her, but also, um, you know, his friends like Max and um, a lot of his legion, also with um, a character called Marcus, who at this point we know is Fendelius, who was somebody who was against Gaius, the First Lord, in the first few books. But once he realized who Tavi was, he saw in him what he saw in the prince. So we find out that Fendelius, the reason why he turned against Gaius was basically because he felt Gaius got his own son killed. Because Gaius was playing these games... He put his son in this horrible position. And then once his son got killed, it put the whole realm in kind of a, a dubious position. And uh, Fidelius felt like, hey, you you can't run, you can't run this, you can't run this country. You 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 got your own son killed. And that's why he had teamed up with um, other High Lords like a Quentin before. But now, disguised as Marcus. He's starting to, he sees Tavi for this young man who's um, grown to be not only just a good captain, but a good leader. And he kind of sees, you know, this, this is the real, this is the print. This is the one who does need to rule. And he's not as corrupt as a Quentin. He's not as bad as his um, grandfather. You know, he could be molded into somebody better. And so he's actually staying with him too. But what they're doing is they're going to the Canaan home homeland, uh, taking a lot of the Canaan that they defeated, and trying to go there to help them with the Vord. Because uh, from what they know, the Vord Queen actually went to the Canaan uh, homeland way back in like book two or something like that. And that's where supposedly they've been for a long time, kind of gaining forces, but also pushing the Canem. Because that's why the Canem actually came over. It's because the Vord was kind of like, um, had gained, gained forces and pushed them out of homeland. So that's what Tavi's doing. He's trying to go over there. Uh, meanwhile, um, while he's trying to do that, and Gaius is at Alera trying to get the politicians to stop, you know, arguing about this stuff. 
um, Asana, his mother, has been tasked to try to get the High Lords from the shield wall uh, to come down to Alara, to the main Alara proper to help with the potential Vord attack that, you know, Asana knows is coming. Because remember, Asana's from the, um, from Cauldron Valley, and she, of course, you know, unequivocally believes her brother on how severe this attack was. Um, so she's going to try to go to the shield wall to get um, the main lord, who's Lord Antilius. Now, Lord Antilius uh, really has been mentioned a couple of times, but the main thing about him is that he's Max's father, Max and Cross's, and he commands what's he commands the shield wall, which is all along the north. Now, the shield wall is this massive wall that puts a layer between them and the region that's manned by the what's called the Icemen which are this other group that they don't really go too much into detail, but what we what they do say is that they've been basically fighting for almost, it seems like, hundreds of years, actually since Lara has really been constructed. And it's kind of one of those things that you get the sense that the Icemen were probably, were potentially pushed out of their homes when Alara was setting up and of course they didn't take too kindly of it so they started attacking their walls and it's one of those feuds that had gone on for almost centuries at this point so hell no one knows what's you know what started all they know is the fighting and Antilles is one of those guys that, you know, for centuries, his family has been commanded to stay at this wall. He's also been there so long that he's lost men. And, you know, they're constantly, you know, fighting off raids and um, different attacks. And he really finds, you know, the whole thing going on south is like, you know, you guys in the south, you keep on like, you know, you're in your high castles and, you know doing your you know your little who's this guy's on top that guy's on top this girl's on top whatever you don't know the real battle that's going on here so when he's asked from asana who's basically like the um i guess you know equivalent of like a queen regent type of role she's the mother of the prince um she's um so she has that role, you know, kind of gives her a little bit of extra authority. Uh, and also, she's also joined by Lady Placida, um, who we've seen a couple of times earlier. And she's pretty badass High Lord in herself. Um, and she's grown to really like Asana and respect her as a, as kind of like this equal in a sense. Even though Asana comes from a more humble beginning than her, she appreciates how Asana has risen and how she's, you know, kind of kept, you know, her wits and her mind about it. She hasn't been corrupted by basically the system. Um, so she kind of goes with them because she knows until and they used to be. And you kind of get a sense that, you know, this is like, these were people that knew each other as, you know, young when they were, you know, just kind of growing up or when they became, you know, basic soldiers. But as they grew older, they kind of still stayed in touch, whatever. 
But anyway, they, he goes up there. She goes up there with her. But until not having any of it. He's like, you know what? I don't know what this Vort thing you're talking about. I've got a real problem here. And this is, and I need troops. So you can go back and convince guys to send more men. But if you think I'm going to send more men down there, you're dead wrong. And pretty much just dismisses her and has no patience for her. Now, that's a little bit more for a time that she, that he doesn't like Asada. And you get that feeling, but you don't know why exactly. And you think that it's maybe something to do with just because she's a woman that just got this power that maybe that's it. And then you later, when, um, when it turns out that, you know, she's trying to tell him, you know, what's going on and who she is, you think, okay, maybe he just doesn't believe who she is. That, you know, Septimus was one of his friends. And that's what you also find out that they were friends at, at a, you know, for a long time. And to believe that this woman that he didn't know of could have been, was his wife and he had a child, it seems preposterous because this friend would have told him at some point. And so he's just not believing, you know, who she is. And you think, okay, that's what it is. But it runs a little bit deeper than that. So... Not only was she this wife of his friend that he didn't know had a wife and had a child, but also Gaius officially accepted Tavi as his grandson. When normally something like that would happen, they would just be kind of like in Game of Thrones, a bastard, and they wouldn't have any kind of rights to the kingdom or rights to... um, Rights to the air, I should say. And that hurt Antillus because Max is that kind of son. Um, see, Antillus was forced in a different marriage that he had one son, Crassus, but he fell in love with another woman who he had with Max. But because that woman wasn't his wife, Max pretty much just grew up to be this kind of like this bastard that even though he was able to go into the army and he's, you know, friends with Tavi and there's no problems there, he can never be the heir to the Antilles house because of that status and because of the rules laid down by Gaius. But Gaius threw that out for his, for supposedly his grandson. So that really, you know, kind of gets him on the wrong side of this. Plus, like I said, the fact that, um, you know, this woman is pretending to be, or in his mind, is pretending to be the wife of his good friend that was killed by probably, and he knew, and also you find out, he had a letter from Septimus that said, yeah, I'm really afraid of some of the people that I'm, that are down here, some of the things that I've heard. So he already knew that there was there was trouble happening and that his friend may be in trouble. And unfortunately, he just wasn't able to act fast enough. So there's a lot of, you know, little, little things that's going on. But one of the things that's cool about this section is... Um, so one of the people that comes up also to help negotiate is Durango, uh, Durago, who's the merit uh, ambassador in Kitia's father. And he he's just so funny because he has 
he he really just has no patience for the policies and procedures that Alarians have to do. He's like, let's just get to this. He's able to talk to the Iceman and, you know, try to work out like, okay, look, you know, so the main thing is I was trying to come up with is saying, hey, look, the Icemen aren't that bad. If we promise to leave them alone, you can come down south and help us with the real fight. And then the Iceman will just be cool. And the Iceman are kind of like, yeah, we'll be cool, but this guy's, this guy's an asshole. And he's going to his men keep on attacking us. And even that happens when at one point, when they try to negotiate, Attilus decides, hey, they're all in one place. I can knock this out and still be able to send men out. And he tries to attack. And Asana actually isn't having any of it and actually blocks his attack. And at that point, she actually challenges him to the Joris Makdo. Which is kind of like this trial by combat. And um, in this case, it's to the death or submission. But at this point, they're so hot-headed that it's going to be to the death. And it's so funny because as she's preparing, um, Araris or Fade from the earlier books, who's now pretty much her bodyguard, um, is with her. And he's like, you know... You're, you know, you're very powerful because she's a, she's a um, really good watercrafter and we've started seeing her abilities grow throughout the series. And he's trying to give her these points and they give her like this kind of light armor to use. But he says, hey, you know, just want to let you know, if he kills you, I'm killing him and I'm pinning up to the wall just to let you know. And she's like, oh my God, don't, don't do anything crazy. And then when, uh, as she's going out and she talks to, um, uh, high Lord or high lady, uh, Lucina, she's like, yeah, just so you know, if he kills you, I'm going to kill him. And she's like, oh my God, you crazy people. (laughs) Look, this is between him and me. Don't go attacking this guy. She's like, yeah, whatever. If he kills you, just let you know what's going to happen next. And then she gets to Durago. He's like. Oh my god, she she goes to him like, oh my god, are you gonna try to kill this guy too? And he's like, yeah, baby, who knows? But um It's kinda like it's kinda stupid y'all fight anyway when you got a real fight going on, but you know, whatever. And they have a fight and it's pretty impressive and she displays a lot of skill that really um that he is not prepared for. But he does get the upper hand but during the fight, she starts revealing a lot of little information to kind of prove she's the real thing. That she's not, um, she's not a pretender. She's not, neither is she the First Lord's puppet. Um, she was, in fact, in love with Septimus. And um, she loves her son. And even though... His uh, the first the current first lord's rules kind of hurt his son. He shouldn't let that affect everything else. And I think he pretty much like he does get the upper hand and uh, like stabs her or something like that in the stomach. And it's like at that point she reveals and I can't remember exactly what happens, but I know she reveals something else and he realizes kind of the error. And that, yeah, she's, she really did know Septimus and she, you know, 
that Tavi is really her son, you know what I mean? His son, basically. Like, this is his friend's son, and he needs to do, you know, basically the right thing and help and help them out. And, like, the one last thing is he's like, calls for a medic, basically, and um, she passes out. So, we've got that going on. And now, down in Alara, the First Lord... Like like he said, he um he tasked Asana to go up to the north to try to get um Attilus to come down south to help. He's put Tavi on this kind of mission to Canaan. He doesn't know as far as like how bad the um Vord are out there, but he's like kinda of put him on that mission to just, you know, get him out of Alaire for a little bit. But now he has to try to strengthen the homeland. And one of the things he does is actually appoint Lord Quentin, the same guy who was kind of stirring up trouble before. He actually appoints him as kind of acting ruler until Tavi comes back. And it's a kind of smart move because Quentin does have like a large force. He does have the support of a lot of people, the Senate. So it's kind of a smart move, but at the same time, you know, we're kind of worried. like, will he give it up when Tavi comes home? And one of the things that he does put Aaron, uh, one of Tavi's good friends that we meet in back of the book or in the first few books, and he's become this kind of, he's become the cursor, like the king's kind of agents. And he's become a pretty adept spy, not a great soldier, but really good spy and he becomes like this kind of assistant to a Quentin to help him with the Senate and everything else. But along with that, he also gets Bernard and Amara. Remember at this point, Amara's had enough of the First Lord, enough of his dealings. And she really doesn't want anything with them. But at this point, there's rumors that the Vord are building for a major attack. They're not hiding in the shadows anymore. They're going to really come on out. And Bernard and uh, Mara kind of go in and try, are trying to find out, like, you know, the fact that they're using Furies more often and, you know, what's going on with the Vord. You know, how are they getting these numbers so fast? And it turns out that um, not only do they have a few people who are actually helping them, uh, specifically, and I'm trying to remember the guy's name, but he's the son of the High Lord of Calair, uh, or of uh, Kalar, or something like that. Um, one of the High Lords that was killed by Gaius in the uh, fourth book. But his son basically um, picked up the slave trade, basically, and has been using either slaves or people they found to strengthen the Vord. So they're given Alarians over to the Vord, but the Vord are led by not only the queen, but also Nvidia. Now, Nvidia was the wife of a Quentin. So, and in the last book, she was disguising herself as this woman and trying to manipulate things to get Tavi killed. Well, in the last book, she was actually shot with this, like, giant crossbow by Fidelius, who was supposed to shoot Tavi, but he decided to turn it on her instead. And everyone thought that maybe she was just killed. They thought that she was just this, um, one of the, uh, um, 
kind of a legion tagalongs, basically. Uh, but her body was gone by the time they can really check on her. Turns out um, she made her way to Vor territory and the queen actually found her and used a small creature to kind of bring her back in a sense. Um, if you can, if, if anyone's ever watched uh, the Resident Evil movies, uh, there's a part where in the later Resident Evils, they bring in, they bring back Jill Valentine. Not the first time she appears, but the second time. And when they bring her back, she has like this metal thing on her chest, basically, that's brainwashed her. So think of that, but not a metal uh, spider, but like a actual creature that's sitting on her chest that's pretty much like bringing life back into her. But at the same time, the Vord Queen controls it so she can like control to make it not give her life and kill her. So NVIDIA is now working for the Vord Queen. And Amar and Bernard barely managed to escape. Uh, and fortunately in the process, they're trying to escape um, Rook, who initially had been, um, was pretending to be one of Tavi's friends and turned out to be a spy. She's unfortunately killed in the process. Um, but Bernard and Amara do manage to get away uh, so they can actually try to report everything to the First Lord as well as the attack. And unfortunately, attack does happen. And that leads to one of the climaxes of the book. And I still haven't even gotten to what happens with Tavi on the other side. So, um, so spoilers for the last few minutes here on what happens to Tavi and the First Lord. So spoilers, spoilers for the book. If you don't want to listen to this part, by all means, you can get this out. I recommend picking up the book. It's a lot of fun, but just want to say, okay. So one of the big things of Vord does attack, and during the attack, the First Lord basically does his move that he did in the other in the other country where he releases this fury, basically this volcano, to wipe out as much of the Vord as he can. But in this case, it ends up killing him trying to do it. So the First Lord dies. And over in Canaan, Tavi is kind of leading this group. And at first he figures, okay, we can go there. We can see what the Vord threat is. The queen is probably back on our land. We can take care of what's over here. But they find out, they find a lot of the Canaan have been moving to the coast. They're seeing their, um, they're seeing a lot of bigger pockets than even the Canaan that they came with. They're saying like, this is really weird migration for our people. And it turns out that the Vord have most of the country, that they've just been expanded. So for the last uh, almost like two and a half books that we haven't been seeing the Vord, um, which I think it goes over because there's a lot of time that passes. So it's been maybe around five, maybe uh, six or seven years have passed since the events from the first, so sorry, sorry from the second book, because the second book is where the queen, or one of the queens actually escapes. So since that time, 
Um, the queen has been massing forces, growing more Vord, um, taking over the Kingdom, all that, unhindered over on the Kingdom side, and also with the blessing of some Kingdom who allowed her to go there, they become almost unstoppable on that side of things. Now, the other part of that is though, is that the Vord queen that's there isn't like the Vord queen that's over in Alara. Now, turns out the one that's over in Alara is kind of the main queen. And what's been happening is that because the queen, now the queen was created kind of with the blood of both Kitia and Tavi. So she sees them as basically her parents. And when they describe the Vord queen, they keep on remarking how she looks like Kitia. So that's why she looks like that. But not only did she get the looks from her, the mind, but she also got kind of like the mind of Tavi, which makes her more independent. Even though she can control the Vord in general, she has this independency that whenever she creates another queen, it sees her as a defect and wants to attack it. So every time she tries to make a new queen, try to expand it, it sees the original queen as defective because you're too individualized. And it sounds crazy, but um, so that's kind of why eventually the Vord Queen left and it's like the basic queens that are over on the Canaan. But kind of trying to cut this uh, a little bit shorter because I've run a little bit longer than I thought, um, Tavi realizes that he can't beat the Vord in Canaan, at least not with the forces he has. It's going to take a massive excursion and it's going to take a lot of time. So the best thing he can do for them is to take all the Canaan that are still alive, go back to Alara. And a lot of the Canaan were just not happy with this. They're like, hey, this is our home. We have to help. And he's like, look, you're not going to be able to beat them. The forces I brought are not going to be able to beat them. The best we could do is kind of hold them off. They're not going anywhere. At least this group ain't going anywhere. They're going to just stay over here. But I can at least get you and your families over to Alara. And then we can all beat the main queen. And then we can come back and beat that. Beat them. Because they're not going anywhere. And grudgingly, they agree to it. And basically what turned, what originally turned into kind of a mission to help the kingdom beat the Vord turned into pretty much a rescue mission. And Tavi, being smart, kind of knew that that was going on. So before he actually started going into kingdom, he actually had a lot of his fairy crafters to craft large arcs out of uh, the icebergs and things that they passed Coming to Canaan, they craft these giant arcs to fit all the people, um, all the people they can from Canaan. And they get, I'm pretty sure they get, all, not everybody, but they get a lot, they get a lot of people. And it ends with them um, getting all these people and um, about to ship them back to Alara. So it's funny, he starts the mission taking the Canaan who invaded Alara back to their homeland, but he's ending his mission actually taking more of the Canaan 
out of their homeland to set them up in a lair. Almost what they wanted to do in the first place. Um, like I said, I, uh, I kind of brushed through a lot of this book because it turns out um, I ramble a lot and <laughs> and uh, running kind of close out of time. It's coming close to like uh, over 50 minutes. So my phone's going to start giving me the message that uh, you are getting really close. But uh, let me just say that I really enjoyed this book because one, it brought the Vord back because it kind of showed them that there's still this threat. There's this um, um, kind of this uh, almost unstoppable force that Tavi has to fight. And it's really put them in the forefront to be that, like, this is the enemy that we all have to come, we have to fight against. Um, the Alarans, the Canums, um all the people on the shield wall, probably even some of the Icemen, um, the Merit, the Vord don't care about any of those things. It may have tried to do these alliances here and there, but it, in the end, it doesn't care about that. It wants to kill everything. And not only does the, the Vord, just the the nature of the Vord want to kill everything, the Vord Queen is battling this individuality that's basically just making her go crazy. So it, it's even worse for her. And, and if I get to, and whenever I get to the last book, um, and hopefully I get to it, you'll see that she's actually pretty psycho for the most part. Um, but it also brings back NVIDIA as this kind of like, um, you know, evil force and, you know, basically becoming this other bad guy. It was interesting seeing um, a Quentin now at first being this manipulator, but now actually getting the position he wants. And you actually start seeing that he wants to actually kind of marry Asana because she's the basically queen regent. And if Tavi's not around and a Quentin is the is the act in First Lord, Asana becomes like this kind of like, you know, if if she can combine, if he can combine with her as far as a marriage, it would strengthen all Valera. Uh, but, uh, but you see a lot of people are not down with it because they know Quentin is just like uh, pretty much this bad apple. And um, Attilan, who, Attilus, who was like, you know, at first, you know, against, uh, Asana actually becomes one of her like strongest like supporters now um, after his attack like he becomes like this like almost protector for her because he's like you know because he, he basically realized yeah this was my best friend's wife and I have and you know I have to protect her because um, she is good for the realm and everything but I really enjoyed this series it was a lot of fun um, I complained before about a different book that, you know, um, sometimes the book doesn't end and just leads to, you know, it leads on this cliffhanger. I think a lot of the major points in this book do end. Like, you do get a resolution of Tavi's trip, even though he's going to be coming back. You get a resolution of Asana going to the shield wall. It's, she gets, she does get the force Albeit it was kind of tough, but she does get those for us. And you do get, even though it ends with the First Lord dying, um, you get this sense that at least his actions did halt 
the Vord for at least a little bit until Tabby can get back. So that all leads to the final book, uh, First Lord's Fury, which I may get to next week, but it may be a couple weeks because I kind of want to change things up again. So it might go back to either a movie or a series, I haven't decided. But if you do have a chance, I, uh, as I say it again, I've said it many times before, I recommend this book series. It is fun. It's actually pretty easy to read. Um, I think you'll, it took me, uh, once I got into it, it actually took me no time to finish it. And I read it every so often. Whenever I feel like I just want to read something fun, I start reading this series. And like I said, I've, I have the physical books, but I'm actually, I'm going to be looking up if, if the other books actually go on sale, uh, I will be getting the doubt, the, uh, the, um, uh, digital copies because I like I said I enjoy reading this um, anytime I can I want to thank anyone who's listening I appreciate you turning it tuning in if you have any suggestions if you have any uh, comments you want to say a series that I should pick up or maybe games I should be playing by all means let me know you can leave comments through here Um, mainly it's mainly through anchor so anchor does give an option for voice messages so you can leave me a message there you can also find me on twitter um at morningstar journal journal spelled j-r-n-l you can also find me on instagram as well as on facebook morningstar journal and you can uh email me the Morningstar Journal, all spelled out, no spaces. So the Morningstar Journal at gmail.com. Thank you again. I hope everyone has a great week and I'll see you next time. Peace.